fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and the smell of fresh manna. Today you will be listening to Garrett Morgan, pastor of Big Rapids, Bristol, and Reed City Seventh-day Adventist churches. And now, here's Pastor Garrett. What a privilege it is again to be in God's house today. I hope that you're happy that you're here. You know, we were blessed this week with some beautiful sunshine. I hope you're able to enjoy some of that, and hopefully we'll have more of that this week. But no matter what the weather is outside, we need to have the Lord's sunshine in our hearts. Amen. We need to be warmed with the renewing of our minds, the blessing that God has promised us. Before we get started today, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. So if you'd bow your heads with me, I'll kneel here. Father, Lord, we thank you for your so many blessings. Lord, we thank you that we can worship here in freedom today. Lord, a freedom that many people would love to have around the world, but we have it here and we thank you for that. Lord, as we open the word of God, your word, we ask that we would understand. Lord, not understand in our own understanding because, Father, we'll misunderstand. But, Father, understand the way that you would have us to. Lord, may we hear your words Hear your voice and not mine own, because mine is not worth listening to. And Father, may we leave this place knowing more of you, and not just knowing, but doing. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's a phrase that we as Christians, but we as Seventh-day Adventists say, and I'm sure that you've heard it before, and you may have said it, and sometimes this phrase can be seen as arrogant. Now, granted, sometimes this phrase that I'm about to say is said in an arrogant fashion, but I believe it's true nonetheless. The statement is simply this, Seventh-day Adventists have the truth. You heard that statement before? Have you used that statement before? I know that I have. Now, when that statement is said, we're not saying that we have all of the truth, amen, because God will continue to reveal to us truth throughout all of eternity, amen. So we're not saying that we know everything, but when we say that we have the truth, we're saying that we have the word of God, amen. You're holding it there in front of you this morning. And as a people, we do our absolute best to obey the word and the voice of God. That's what we mean when we say that we have the truth, knowing that God will continue to reveal to us even more of it. But that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about just that. We're going to be talking about the word truth. 
Now, truth is something that we all want, and we know that the only place we can truly find truth is in the Word of God. Do you believe that? You have to read everything else with a critical mind, don't you? When you read the news, you have to understand what bias that newspaper or that news article may have. When you read something with school, when you read something in a manual, you have to understand when it was written and the concept and when it was written. But when we read the Word of God, we understand that it is timeless. We understand that the Word of God was not written with any bias, and like our children's story illustrated today, with no respecter of persons, right? God loves everyone. That being said, though, we know that God loves all, but we as humans have a hard time understanding that concept, don't we? Because often we truly fail to love all, as God does. But truth, that's what we're going to be taking a look at today. The title is Two Witnesses, and we're not talking about the two witnesses in Revelation, although that would be well worth your time. We're going to be taking a look at two different stories in the Bible that have to do with people knowing and saying truth and how that truth was affected. Let's take a look at the first one here. Go to the book of Acts, if you would. The book of Acts in your Bibles. Acts is a book that is full of amazing stories that happened to the early church. And we find this here in Acts chapter 16, verse 16. And to give you a little bit of context here, we find Paul, and he is traveling with Silas. And as they are going amongst the Gentiles, amongst the Greeks, They are speaking one important truth, one truth that brings all truth together, and that truth was Jesus Christ crucified. And this message of Jesus Christ crucified was so foreign to the Grecian mind, to the pagan mind. How could it be that a deity would humble himself to the point of being killed by mere mortals to save humanity. That doesn't make sense in the Hellenistic mindset. It doesn't make sense in the pagan mindset, but it makes sense in the eyes of God, doesn't it? Why? Because he loves you. Simple as that. And that is what Paul was preaching. And as he went among the Gentiles, he was preaching this message And we find this interesting story in Acts chapter 16 and verse 16. Let's just read this first verse here together. It says, And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. Now we have to understand a few things here. There's a difference between divination and prophecy, isn't there? Prophecy is given by God. Amen. Daniel was blessed with the gift of prophecy. John the Revelator was gifted with the gift of prophecy. In fact, even Moses was given the gift of prophecy. This woman that we find in the book of Acts was not given the gift of prophecy by God, but she was given this divination, not by God, but by the devil himself. She was in something that had to do with witchcraft. 
And she did this and made money for her masters. Now, we don't know if this was something that she willingly volunteered herself into, but nonetheless, we find this demon-possessed woman who is known in the area for telling the future because she was into the dark side, so to speak. And it continues here. Notice what she says. It doesn't make sense. Verse 17. Then the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now, I'll explain why this is confusing for just a moment. But put yourself in the shoes of Paul. Paul is walking through on his missionary journey. He's in a place that he has never been before, and he's trying to share with people the the gift of what Jesus had done on the cross. And it is a lot easier to share with somebody the truth of Jesus when you have their respect. It's much easier to share truth with somebody when they know that you're credible. They know who you are. And often the best way to do that is to find someone in the town that's credible, right? You find someone in the town that is credible, that is truth, that is respected, and they would say, you know, this man is telling the truth. But as Paul is going through this town, he's getting some advertisements, and this woman that is demon-possessed, and everyone knows it, is saying truth. Is she not? She's walking around, and what she is saying is absolutely right. She's saying that these men have the gift of Jesus, the gift of Christ crucified. And as she's walking around behind Paul and Silas, she's saying, listen to these men. What they're saying is right. Now, this aggravates Paul. And notice what happens here in verse 18. And this she did many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Now, this is so interesting here. Paul understands that this woman is demon-possessed. And as she's walking around saying what is right, he eventually says, get out of her, and this evil spirit comes out of this woman. Praise the Lord. Amen. But there's a huge lesson that we can learn here. When Paul cast out that evil spirit, you see in the next few verses that the masters of this woman are mad because she can't make money anymore, right? And then Paul and Silas are arrested and they're beaten. You can read that for yourselves a little bit later. But that's not the point of the story for us today. Just because we say the right things, just because you might speak truth, doesn't mean that you're in the right place with God. In fact, this woman was speaking truth and in reality was doing more harm to the gospel than good because of her reputation. Understand what the devil was doing here. This woman was demon-possessed and the devil knew, if I can get this woman who is known for evil things, if I can get this woman to say that what Jesus is saying is right, then everyone that are really truth seekers are going to turn away because it's coming from her. 
Friends, today, I don't want that to be me. Could it be that you may have the truth on your tongue, but because of what you're known for, because of the way that you act, because of the way that that you just are, could it be that you do more harm to the gospel than good? I believe we're all in danger of that, myself included. One of the biggest complaints against Christianity often, I believe, can be blown out of proportion, but there's an element of truth to it. One of the reasons that people do not come to church for not coming to truth is because you Christians are all hypocrites. Have you heard it before? Christians are all hypocrites. And trust me, we definitely can be sometimes. But friends, when we take a look at this and we see the story of this woman that was speaking truth, but because of her actions, because of her lifestyle, was causing people to turn away from truth, I wonder to myself, Lord, am I doing the same? Now, I know that you all love Jesus Christ. I know that you all love truth. I know that you all long to share it. But just because you have the right things to say, just because you may have known the word of God and you may have scripture memorized, it doesn't give us the right to act as if we're demon-possessed. Let's turn to another example in the Bible about someone speaking truth. Go to the book of John, backwards a little bit. John chapter 3. And here we find an example of someone else who's speaking truth. John chapter 3, and of course, this is a very well-known story to probably most of you here. John chapter 3, we find this man that comes and talks to Jesus by night so that his colleagues don't notice that he's there. John chapter 3 verse 1, we learn a lot about this man from the beginning. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. We'll just pause there for just a moment. We've talked about Nicodemus before, but you don't just become a Pharisee because that's just something that you want to do. That takes some time, some schooling, and some discipline to become what is called a Pharisee. Nicodemus was an expert on the Bible, on the Torah of the time. He had the books of Moses memorized as that was a requirement to be a Pharisee. He understood what truth was. He understood the sacrificial system. He could tell you every detail and every nuance and every legality of it. The man knew scripture more than probably we ever will. And he approaches Jesus and notice what he says in verse two. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus here uses an example and he uses the language of being born again for the first time. 
And we have read this story, and Christians have read this story so much, that the term being born again is practically second nature to our understanding, right? Being born again means to be changed, right? To have Christ live within you, to sacrifice yourself to God, to change, all of you, to be baptized. And here we find that Nicodemus doesn't understand what this concept means. And so for the next few verses, he begins to ask Jesus a few times, but what does it mean to be born again? And he begins to talk physically here. Do you want me to go back in my mother's womb? That's not possible. And of course, that's not what Jesus was talking about here. And in fact, Jesus rebukes him. Notice what happens here in verse 10. This is a rebuke if there ever was one. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a master of Israel and know not these things? Wow. In other words, Jesus looks at him and says, you call yourself a theologian? You call yourself someone that knows scripture? You call yourself a Pharisee and you don't understand what it means to be born again? Friends, that question is one that I believe that God's church should ask themselves. I believe it's something that we, every one of us, as individuals, need to remind ourselves of. Do you know what it means to be born again? Nicodemus had all of the knowledge. We already talked about that. He understood the scripture that was available at his time. He was an expert in all of these things, and yet he didn't know what it meant to have that knowledge transform him. And I believe that we as Seventh-day Adventists are often in danger of the very same thing. Nicodemus here was speaking truth. And he knew it, and yet he was missing the point. Friends, it could be today that you know truth. It could be today that if someone says, well, what does it mean when I die? How do I define that? You could say, well, let me take you to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5 and see what the Bible has to say. It could be that if someone asks you about God, that you know the very text to take them to. And when you take them to that text, as you read it together, you're not even reading it in your Bible because it's all memorized. It could be that you know all of these things, and you know the prophecy, and you know the 2300 days, and you know all of these truths about the Bible. But friends, unless you know what it means to be born again, that truth is in fact a curse. There's a quote here that a gentleman by the name of Billy Sunday said that I've read here before, but it says this, the trouble with many people is that they have just enough religion to make them miserable. If there is not joy and overcoming in your religion, there is a leak in your religion. Friends, today, being bored again includes having joy. Do you believe that? 
Being born again means that you're being connected to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I believe that we do such an amazing job at teaching head knowledge. We do an amazing job of teaching prophecy. We do an amazing job of memorizing scripture. But friends, do you know God? Do you understand what he can do in your life? And have you allowed him to do it yet? Nicodemus here doesn't know what it means to be born again. And finally, Jesus breaks down what this means. And we find it here beginning in verse 15 of John chapter 3. Jesus says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, the key, the key to that verse for you and for me is belief. Do you believe in God? Not just believing in his existence. That's not what I'm talking about. Although if you don't, we have some backtracking to do. We got to get there first. But that's not what I'm trying to talk about today. When I'm talking about believing in God, what I mean is, do you believe that he can make you born again? Do you believe, do you have faith is another way of putting it. Do you believe that God can change your heart and your mind? Do you believe that he's powerful enough for you to change? That's what this text is saying. Do you believe? He continues, verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Friends, today I know that all of you have scriptural knowledge. You here today, hearing these things from the Word of God for however long you have, are blessed with more scriptural knowledge than most of the world today. But unless you believe that God can do a good work in you, what good is it? Nicodemus here didn't understand what that meant. The Pharisees had the knowledge, but crucified the Son of God. We look at the first example of the damsel that had the spirit of divination. We shake our heads and we say, wow, what a dangerous thing that that must have been. This bad example of this demon-possessed woman speaking truth. But these Pharisees were much more dangerous than this woman in Greece. The Pharisees were much more dangerous because they were armed with scriptural knowledge. And yet, 
they chose to do nothing with it except crucify Jesus. Friends, could it be today that we have so much scriptural knowledge and yet we don't allow Jesus to do things in our lives? We read verse 17 talking about condemning the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world because we've done a good enough job of that ourselves. Do you agree with that? I've done a pretty great job of making sure that I'm not fit for heaven on my own. I mean, there's no way that I deserve to be there. I don't know about you, but I've made sure of that in my past. And Jesus looks at that and he says, you're right. But through me, I want you to be there. And I want to change you today. And I want you to be in heaven with me someday, no matter what you have done. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. But friends, that belief starts now. Let's go to another text here. Go to Romans, if you would. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Paul here again is speaking. He says, Romans 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I just want to pause there. Paul, his major ministry was to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. But he still wanted the Israelites to be saved. Friends, today we understand that Paul says that we are spiritual Israel. Do you pray that those in your church will be ready when Jesus comes? Do you pray for each other and say, Lord, I want this person to be there. I want brother so-and-so to be ready. Do we get on our knees and weep for each other like Daniel did and Paul did and John did? Did they get sick over the state of their people? Do we do the same? Paul still had a heart for the people of God that had rejected him. But notice how he describes them here in verse 2. He says, For I bear them record, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He continues to flush out that idea in the next text. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish what? Their own righteousnesses have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Friends, today, are you too busy going about building up your own righteousness? Or are you looking for the righteousness of Christ? Truth can be a very hard-hitting thing sometimes, can't it? When you read in Romans where it says the wages of sin is death, is it true? And it hurts. When you read in Isaiah that says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It's true too, isn't it? And what a realization it is to get there. Ouch! But God doesn't want to leave you there. 
God knows the state we are just as well as you do, if not more. And friends, he doesn't want to leave us in the state that we just read. He wants us to depend on the righteousness of Christ. I'm tired of learning about what Jesus can do in my life. I want to see him do it. I'm tired of just hearing about it. I'm tired of hearing that God can answer my prayers. I want to watch him answer them. I'm tired of hearing that God can bless my finances if I tithe. I want to watch him actually do that. We spend so much time talking about what God is capable of and never actually ask him to do it and have faith that he will. Friends, if you want God to do something powerful in your life, then step forward in faith and say, Lord, do it. And believe that he will because you know what? He will. Are you surrendered to Jesus? Do you actually know what truth can do in you? Because truth is Christ. Have you allowed Christ to do in you? Have you surrendered yourself to Christ so that he can do this work within you today? I'm not trying to preach a prophecy series here because the appeals can go on for 20 minutes. And I know that you have been reminded of this and it's been repeated time and time again. This is the most basic thing in Christianity, the most basic question that we can ask. Have you surrendered your life to God? And the reason that that is brought up over and over and over again is because we seldom actually listen. You've heard the question of if you surrendered to God from this pulpit multiple times. You've heard the question of if you surrendered to God on Strong Tower Radio all the time. You've heard it from Doug Batchelor on 3ABN. I'm sure that you've heard God ask you the very same question when you're coming to him in prayer. Friends, it's a question that we immediately nod our head to and say, of course, I've surrendered myself to Jesus. But the question remains, have you really? Have you really surrendered your life to Christ? All of these things that we talk about, the Sabbath, the state of the dead, the health message, that hell doesn't burn forever, the creation story, the Ten Commandments, all of these things are so important for you to understand. But before we get to any of that, have you truly given your life to Jesus? Is there something that is standing in the way of you 
fully giving your life to him. Because friends, today I'm here to say, if you haven't fully surrendered your life to Jesus, you're not ready to see the kingdom of God. If Jesus came tomorrow, you may know his name, but he would never know you. And as a minister, that is my worst nightmare. But not just a minister, as your brother and sister in Jesus. As the Bristol Seventh-day Adventist Church, we want to see all of our faces there in heaven, don't we? I want to see all of our elders in heaven, don't you? I want to see all of our deacons and deaconesses. I want to see every member of our church on the sea of glass in the New Jerusalem. I want to see Jerry. I want to see the Duke family. I want to see Kevin. I want to see my wife there. I want to see our young people. But the hardest part of my job as your pastor is that I can't make that decision for you. The hardest part of God's existence is probably the same thing. He created you with a free will. He cannot force you to make that decision. It's something that you must do. Have you done it? Have you truly surrendered your life to Christ? Because all of this knowledge that we love to read about will go wasted if your heart isn't surrendered to God. And friends, once you have, the change that will be seen in you is going to be amazing. The work and the miracles that Christ will perform in your life will be something that amazes you. I'm tired of learning about what Christ can do. I want to see him do it. Don't you? Father, again, we just thank you so much for your wonderful love. And Father, because you love us so much, you don't want us to remain here. Lord, you don't want us to remain the same way that we are today. But Father, you want us to make us more and more like you. Father, you want to see us for eternity when you bring us home. Lord, today we ask that there would be nothing between our souls and the Savior. Father, we want to be fully in tune with you, and we want to stand for the right, though the world may fall around us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
You have been listening to Garrett Morgan, pastor of Big Rapids, Bristol, and Reed City Seventh-day Adventist Churches. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit one of his churches this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the Big Rapids Seventh-day Adventist Church at 1031 Rose Avenue in Big Rapids, and their church service begins at 9.30 a.m. Or visit the Bristol Seventh-day Adventist Church located at 11225 East 8 Mile Road in Tustin, and their church service begins at 11.30 a.m. Or visit the Reed City Seventh-day Adventist Church located at 17290 U.S. Highway 10 in Hersey, and their church service begins at 3 p.m. This program has been a Strong Tower Radio production.